0: they're lazy, they're entitled, they're just, you know, whatever. Um, but everything that college students accomplish and build and create, especially at UW Oshkosh, is just fantastic. The ways that they're working to bring in speakers, the ways that they're trying to build a better community for their fellow student on campus, I think, really goes unspoken. They are constantly striving to better themselves and to build a better future for them, and their their fellow man. But in the midst of this striving, there is a lot of fear, anxiety, doubt, and confusion. This past school year, I had four students on suicide watch which is more than I've ever had in one school year. I am constantly meeting with students, talking to them through panic attacks, talking through how do I deal with this loneliness, how do I deal with doubt, what if I'm not going to be good enough, what if I'm not going to make it, what if this is all for nothing, what if I have to change my major for a sixth time, and then I say, well, I changed my major five times in four years, and I made it, so you got it, don't worry. But so many of my students are worrying If they're going to make it. Am I going to make it? Am I going to be able to succeed? Am I going to actually make the cut? And this will tie in in a little bit later. So if you're new or just joining us. This is your first Sunday. We've been journeying through the fruit of the spirit. Found in Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 and 23. Which I don't have on a slide. But I'll read it real quick to remind us. It says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, or forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so we've been journeying through the fruit of the Spirit, but for this Sunday, we're going to take a little sidestep into 1 Corinthians 13. So there's a few reasons why I chose this passage. Uh, one, I was researching 1 Corinthians 1 Corinthians 13, uh, earlier in the summer. And just so it stated, a lot of what I'm going to talk about today I got from Tim Keller. And so I'm just big on like, this is where I got my resources from, uh, that sort of thing, giving credit where credit is due. Uh, so I was researching it earlier. And one of them is also because it's a verse we hear, or a group of verses we hear so often. Besides John three sixteen, Psalm 23, or the Lord's Prayer, this may be one of the most well-known parts of scripture of all time. If you've ever gone to a wedding, you have probably heard 1 Corinthians 13. A lot of people who don't even go to church or consider themselves Christians have heard of 1 Corinthians 13. But before we jump into our scripture, I would like to start with prayer. So Jesus, we just thank you so much you putting breath in our lungs, for having our hearts beating as we woke up this morning. God, I thank you that you are already here, present in this room. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are moving, that you are active, and just ask that you would open our minds, open our hearts to whatever it is that you have for us this Sunday. Jesus, we love you, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so let's begin 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have the faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Now we may read this text and think, oh, that is just so sweet. How kind, how gentle. However, I think we'll discover that Paul is actually sending out kind of a rebuke to the church in Corinth through this text. He's calling them to a life of holiness, a life of Christ-likeness. And really, he's calling them to a life that is anti-sin. And living a life that is anti-sin is more than just rule-keeping, although sometimes I wish it were because I'm really good at following the rules. I am a firstborn in the family, so I am a rule-keeper. I want to know where the boundaries are. I want to know where the guide rails are. I want to make sure that I am... I'm following the rules because I really, 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 I want the A. That's all me. I want the A. Um, yep. I know that there's a couple of you in here, too, where you're like, yes, I also want the A. Overachiever, recovering people pleaser, that's me. But the Christian life is more than just following rules. It's more than just living the good life, however culture decides to define it. It's a it's love life. The Christian life needs to be a life transformed. The letter of 1 Corinthians is a story of how to live a life that is a life of transformation. And chapter 13 is really only part of that story. Really the whole Bible from beginning to end is a story about how we can be transformed by the living God. But a little context today to set the stage for our story. So the church in Corinth is a young church, and this is a letter. And in this part, it is a rebuke. So what was Corinth like? So Corinth is kind of in the middle of Greece. This was kind of the best picture I could find that had some clarity. But it's kind of in this little step on stuff. It's kind of here, I think. Well, it shows here. But um, it's kind of this patch that connects. So it was surrounded by water. And a lot of Corinth, uh, or Corinth was a lot like Uh, are New York City. So you didn't go to Corinth to settle down and start a family. You went to Corinth because you were the best of the best, and you were going to make it. You were going to prove yourself. You were going to be successful. You were going to do business. You were going to be top dog. It was one of the largest cities in the world at the time. It was dog-eat-dog. It was sex obsessed, and the only reason to be there was to be successful, and you really didn't care about the rules. So when these Corinthians came to know Jesus, they were some of the most brilliant doers that you were ever going to meet, but they were also some of the most troubled. Have you ever wondered where Paul got this list from, right? Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud— it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. I don't believe it was because one day Paul was walking along, so I like, Paul, what is love? And it took everything in me not to play the Night at the Roxbury song. What is love? Because that's all I can. Every time I say that, what is love, That's immediately comes to mind. And I realized, okay, sidestep again. Uh, I realized that I'm getting, I'm not old. I'm 31 years old. But my students are like, what's the Night at the Roxbury? They just have no idea. And I'm like, oh, no. It's happening. I'm old. Um That's what happens, right? They all stay between the ages of like 18 and 22, and I just keep getting older, but that's okay. Anyways, so it wasn't that one day someone walked up to Paul, and they're like, Paul is love. And he's like, hmm, it's patient, it's kind, doesn't envy, it doesn't boast. But Paul really wrote this list to correct what he was seeing in the church in Corinth. They were impatient. They were not kind. They envied, they boasted, they were proud and puffed up, they held grudges, they were self-seeking, and they dishonored one another. They did not rejoice in trust or in honesty or truth. This, what Paul was writing here in this letter, was really meant to be a wake-up call, kind of a a slap in the face. And I think if we look at culture around us, we're like, people can be self-seeking and envious and boastful. They can be conniving and rude and mean and self-serving. So I feel really this is just as much a letter for us today as it was for the church in Corinth. And really, when you get down to it, what First Corinthians 13 is showing us is that you can be talented and gifted and brilliant even within the church and not be transformed by Jesus at all. Paul Paul wants them to get their priorities straight because if our theology is in bad shape, our hearts are going to be in bad shape. It's important that we know what we believe and why we believe it. And we see this, you know, we can take Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 through 23, for example, where it says, We see this in the life of Saul in the Old Testament, who was once close to God and drifted away, even though he was a leader, a king over Israel. And we see this in Judas. Think of all that Judas did, walking with Jesus, seeing the miracles and the healings and casting out demons, being with the 12, being with the 72, going out and being so close to Jesus. And yet he never really truly gave his heart to Jesus. I love what Jonathan Edward writes. He says, A spiritual gift of miracles or of speaking does not change the person's inherent nature. A gift ability does not require a change of heart as love or holiness does. Gifts are like precious jewels with which a body may be adorned, but which does not alter the body's form. The body's form. But the grace of God and its fruit turns, as it were, the very soul into a precious jewel. What Edwards is saying is that the Spirit of God can operate and use gifts in a person who's not even given really his or her heart over to the Lord, but the Lord's Spirit cannot do spiritual fruit in a person whose heart hasn't been given to the Lord. In other words, you can have speaking abilities and counseling abilities and director abilities and leading abilities and service abilities because those are gifts that God created in you. And he can give miraculous abilities without your heart necessarily having saving grace. But he cannot give you spiritual fruit. He cannot give you love and holiness and joy and self-control and humility without your heart first being changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is one of the reasons why love in a lot of ways, a love that transforms the love of Jesus is more more miraculous than any miracle that we will ever see because it changes us from the inside out. That's why later in Second Corinthians, Paul can said, behold, you were once dead and now are alive, that you are being transformed. You are being transformed by the power of Christ Jesus. What was old has gone, behold the new has come. It can only happen through the transforming love of the gospel of Jesus. See, every good and perfect give, gift is from above a lot of times, even for the non-Christian, and I think God does this, so life is a little bit more tolerable. I mean, can you imagine that the only way that you could be a good parent is if you knew Jesus? The only way you could be an honest business owner is if you knew Jesus. The only, you know, the only way, well, I was going to say the only way that you could be a great politician is if you knew Jesus, but, you know, I just... (laughs) one of those moments where it's like, this is why we don't bring up politics, and now I'm kicking myself, and it's okay. Thank you for laughing. <laughs> moving on. Jason, if you watch this later or watching right now, just maybe we can edit this part. Just kidding. It's all live. All right, moving on. Um, so I think God does this, right? It says, I believe it's in the Old Testament, can't remember quite where, but that it rains on the good and the evil, right? It's shine, the sun shines on the good and the evil. And I think that this is—we right. We live in this broken world, but I th- right now it's tolerable, right? And I think God does that so that we can still work with one another, regardless if they know Christ yet or not. But it takes the working of supernatural grace for someone to be a person of Christ-like character. So there are a couple of takeaways— Uh, I know we don't usually do like the three points kind of thing and end, but we're doing it today because that's what I do. So, (laughs) uh, so there are a couple of things that I want to point out from the scripture. And as we think about how we can't just manufacture these, the spiritual gifts in us, it can only come from a life transformed by Jesus. And one of those things is that we can try and try and try to do things with our, within our own power and never really know Jesus. And this is what I see every single day on campus. Students striving to be the best, to carve out their place in the world, to manufacture their own identity rather than resting in their identity in Christ. And I've seen this in my own life where I try to gain more of my identity from doing Christianity, from doing pastoral duties, rather than from Jesus himself. And this is really the opposite of the gospel. Because we are to rest in Christ, knowing that it's only through Jesus that we will find our true identity. But so often, I think my students come to college and they think, well, I want to be this, and then I want to be that, and then I want to be this, and I want to be a person who's seen like this. And they keep stacking these character traits, one on top of the other, because they think, this is who I am, and this is who I'm going to be, but... When, our ide- when we build or manufacture our own identity, eventually, when we fail, because we will all fail in life, but when that happens and we've built our identity upon ourselves, it's crippling. It's crippling. Where when we take risks and take chance- chances and we inevitably fail, but our identity rests in Jesus, it is so much easier to get back up because he's the one who raises us back up. And I find here, there's also a warning. Uh, Tim Keller told this story. I can't remember where I listened to it, but it was on a podcast. Uh, and he was sharing the story about how he had a good friend who's a pastor of a large church, who uh, his, his friend ended up having an affair with a woman in the congregation. And it went on for years. It went on for a long, long time. And, you know, the, his pastor friend stepped down from his role, but uh, Tim Keller got together with him over lunch and was just like, hey, man, like, what's going on? Like, how, like, how did this happen? Like, tell me what, what's going on. And his friend shared that, you know, by the time it went, came through the week, Thursday, Friday, he's writing and he's preparing his sermon for, for Sunday, he would be overcome with conviction and guilt and shame and he would, he would be, you know, he'd have these moments of, oh man, like, I really need to talk to this woman. Okay, on Monday, I'm going to talk to this woman. We're going to get things figured out. And it was just enough relief to the conviction that his natural gifts and talents would kick in. And he'd be able to write a sermon, no problem. He'd be able to preach a sermon on Sundays, no problem. And then when that would happen, he'd be like, oh, well, I can just probably keep on doing what I was doing. And it was because he was relying on those natural gifts and talents to just power through at the pulpit rather than really confessing and surrendering to Jesus. And when I heard that, one, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't, you know, those stories are like, I can't believe that that was, even in my own life where there are areas where I'm like, wow, I was a real jerk to this student. I did not—I wasn't kind or, wow, like, I was pretty harsh with my staff or, you know, X, Y, Z, and thinking, well, it's okay, like, I don't really need to apologize to them or I don't really need to make restitution here or "or anything like that because I can still write a really good sermon. I'm a naturally gifted speaker, so I don't really have to worry about that. I can still, you know—but that is so far from the heart of Jesus— it is so far from the heart of Jesus to say, well, just because I am really good at serving or I serve on the hospitality team or I help out with the kids' ministry, then I'm good to go. When Jesus says, no, there's so much more for you than just these surface-level gifts or talents. I have my fruit for you. I have my fruit for you. I have life transformation for you. And I think that's really beautiful. That in this, what Paul is saying to the Corinthians is, you need to have love. You need to have a life transforming love. And I think something that was, that I learned that just was really shocking is that, uh, Paul's saying without love, right, it's like gongs and cymbals. It doesn't really mean it's nothing. It's, it's nothing. And in Corinth, they had temples. I believe Corinth was Aphrodite. That was their big, Temple that they had there. And before uh, the pagan temple would start their worship, they would clang gongs and cymbals to let them know that worship was happening. So Paul is saying, actually, without love, your worship to the one true living God is no better than the worship to the, pagans, the pagan gods that this culture worships. And I think as we're gifted and talented, as we're doing our best and striving, are we really leaning back on Jesus? on who he's called us to be, are we willing to surrender fully to him and to his authority and to his lordship? Are we willing to confess when we're convicted of our sins? Are we really willing to repent and turn away from the things that are hindering us from a life lived fully in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Like, okay, so these people are super gifted and super talented. And Paul is telling them, like, it's great that you're super gifted and talented, but are you really being transformed by Jesus? And sometimes I read that, and I'm like, wow, I do not feel super gifted or talented. <laughs> so then what, is, what does this have for me? And I love what, what Paul is speaking through this, because I think he's saying that even if you feel like your gifts and your talents and your abilities are limited, when you come to know Jesus— the grace in your heart is unlimited. And there are certain things that can happen then. You could be the most generous, the most kind, a person who really brings peace in any situation. Because what Jesus is then shining, shining bringing through your heart, through your being to benefit others is unlimited because his grace is unlimited. His goodness is unlimited. And so if you are listening to this and you're like, wow, I'm really not gifted or I'm really not talented, I would never get up on stage in a microphone and say the things that you're saying, Rachel. <laughs> or I would never, you know, I would I would just never go up to someone and, you know, uh, or I would never, you know, write a book. Or I'd ne- you know, I'm just not talented like that. Uh, the gifts, the fruit of the Spirit that God has given you and will give you as you surrender your life to him, I think is one of the most beautiful things that you can be the most patient You can shine goodness Kindness you can be a person of self-control these christ-like characters that just continue to grow and grow and grow as we know More and more and more of him all the days of our life until we come to see him face to face There is always more of jesus to discover to be had. And I think that's really beautiful And third and finally for the love of us Jesus lost that love on the cross for us. Only his love can really explain Jesus. Only the love of God can explain why Jesus would go to such extremes to redeem us back to the heart of the Father. You see, love is really the essence of faith, and the more that we see Jesus and follow Jesus, the more we are going to be changed by love. It's patient, it's kind, it does not envy, it does not boast— and as we read this, it should paint a picture for us of Jesus. That Jesus really is love, right? It says in uh, 1 John four sixteen, I believe, that God is love. He is love. He's the one that we can trust. He's the one that we can lean on. He's the one that we can give our hearts to. And I don't know, um, I know a lot of you in this room, but I don't know all of you in this room. And... I just want to share that if you are unsure about Jesus, if you're unsure about this whole Christianity thing, you're like, Rachel, I just, I'm just not quite there yet. I just want to remind you that there is nothing that you can do to make God love you more. There's no, I'm going to strive to do this. I'm just going to be better at that. I'm just going to follow all of these rules, and then God will love me more. But there's nothing you can do to make God love you more, but there's also nothing that you've done that makes God love you less. None of your mistakes, none of your failures, none of, your, none of it makes God love you any less. God loves you wholly and completely Right where you're at, right? And He loves us enough to discipline us, to, to move us along. But when we make mistakes or when we fail, He doesn't look at us and be like, well, you slob, just, you just stay there. I'm, I'm done with you. No. God loves us so much. He's like, that's okay. We're going to get back up. We're going to dust you off. We're going to keep taking one step, one step, one step at a time. And so my prayer for us, Uh, in this, as we're getting ready for communion, so I'll have the worship team come back up. But as we're getting ready to transition into communion, my prayer is as we're, uh, I know a lot of times we'll start communion and people start coming up right away, which is totally fine. Um, But I think just as we're sitting in our our seats before we take the elements, um, my prayer is that we really think about man, am I really leaning on my own gifts and my own talents? Am I really leaning on how smart I am, how talented I am, how brilliant I am, and I'm just calling it good because I have these abilities. So Jesus must really be, he's with me. I don't have to worry. And so if that's you, uh, just to take some time to examine our hearts to say, Jesus, is there anything anything tucked in a corner where you need to— you need to let your light in. Jesus, let, let your light in. And that we would allow ourselves a moment to confess before the Lord, um, you know, um, and just to say, Jesus, I thank you. As these elements remind us of Jesus uh, dying on the cross for us, that we would take a moment to say, Jesus, I thank you for the things that you've done for me on the cross. I thank you for your sacrifice. I thank you for the forgiveness of my sins. And I confess these to you. Or maybe you're sitting here again, you're like, I don't really have gifts and I don't really have talents and I don't really know how Jesus would use me, that you would take some time before communion and allow Jesus to minister to your heart, to show you how loved you are, to show you that he has given you gifts, that he has given you abilities, and that His fruit, the fruit of his spirit will continue to grow in you as you continue to follow and surrender to him. And my prayer as we go into communion is that we would not, Lord, I pray that we would not sprint ahead of you or lag behind, but Jesus, that we would be side by side with you all the days of our life. Jesus, that we would surrender to you. Jesus, that we would say, we we don't know it all. I, I don't know it all. I can't do it all. I can't strive enough or, or do enough to, to be successful, to manufacture the fruit of the Spirit that can only come from you. And Jesus, we thank you that you see us in all of our muck and all of our mess, and yet you say that we are your beloved, and yet you call us your own, you call us sons and daughters, you call us priests, and Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you that you've not forsaken us or abandoned us, but that you are with us in the midst, in the midst of it all. Whether we're going through an incredible time in life right now, or we feel like we are in the The depths of the valley, Jesus, you are there. And we thank you that you see us, that you know us, you know our inmost being. And Jesus, just ask that you would continue to help us desire to pursue you more. Uh, Lord, one of my prayers I pray often is, Jesus, I want to want you more. And Jesus, that we would take delight in you all the days of our life. And Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen. So as we move in uh, to a time of communion... And prepare to take the elements. Uh, we, uh, you don't need to be a member of the church. You don't have to have gone through any sort of class um, or catechism or or uh, first communion or anything like that. Um, it's open table for anyone from any denomination, and we uh, take communion just as a reminder, as a as a time of remembrance of what Jesus has done for us, that the broken bread symbolizes Christ's body broken for us, that the, either the juice or the wine is a symbol of Christ's blood shed for us. And I was really reminded uh, this past week, I was at a conference in Arizona this past week, and I was, I was really reminded that when we take the elements, because we, we take them together corporately, which I think is beautiful, uh, and at the same time, it's, uh, you know, the, the body of Christ broken, the blood of Christ shed for you. The body of Christ broken, the blood of Christ shed for you. And you, and you, and you that Jesus sees us both individually and as a community. And that he has broken his body and shed his, bro- has shed his blood for you individually, but also for us together. And so uh, we have two ways for to take communion. We take it, uh, it's called tincture. We can take, come up and take the bread and dip it either in the wine or the juice and take communion that way. Or we have kind of the the new old way of the communion cups here. So whichever one you'd like, uh, you'd prefer, you can go ahead and take communion that way. And we're going to play a song. And as the song is going, um, to feel free and come up. But if you want to take some time to sit and reflect for a few moments before you come up, that's also... That's also okay to do so i'm going to pray one more time and then we'll we'll take communion so uh lord we just thank you lord we thank you for your sacrifice lord we thank you for your goodness lord we thank you for the ways that you enlighten us for the ways that you bring revelation lord we thank you we thank you and Jesus, as we take these elements, Lord, I ask that it would be a moment of life change. It would be a a, a moment of seeing you in a new way. And whether, um, you know, it's a person's first time coming forward and it's them taking communion for the first time is their declaration of, I'm choosing to follow Jesus. It's their first time or whether this is their their thousandth time taking communion, Jesus, that you would remind them that in us, you are doing a new thing constantly, a new thing as we are being more and more transformed into your likeness every single day. And Jesus, we love you. We pray these things in your name.